Welcome to Moms Going Boldly, a Star Trek Discovery podcast by two moms who write about autism and who also happen to be Star Trek fans. We talk about the new series, compare it with previous versions of Star Trek, and also talk about any autism examples we see along the way. I am your host, Elizabeth. Hi, I'm Vicki. Together, we are Moms Going Boldly. Today we are discussing the episode, The Wolf Inside. In the mirror universe, the wolves are everywhere, ready to take out the weak and unwary. And the wolves can be inside those you trust the most. Today we are talking about the episode, The Wolf Inside, and as a starter, I have to say that was an amazing episode. It might be my new favorite. How about you? It was. There was a lot going on, a lot. It just kept moving, and it was tight and well done with wonderful twists and turns, and even the things that we had suspected that were going to happen, they still came from an angle that at least I was not expecting. Yes, it was, exactly. It was awesome. It was. The episode starts with a brief recap of the previous episode, which is Despite Yourself. Then we start in, in kind of a fun place. We start on a deck where they're doing repairs, and it's dark, and there's flashing lights, and it's kind of spooky. And then we learn that it is Deck 12, which I got kind of a kick out of because there's a Voyager episode called The Haunting of Deck 12. So I thought that might be kind of a clever callback to that episode. Do you remember that episode? Barely. I recommend going to rewatch it. It's fun. The Starfleet officer who's in Deck 12 doing the repairs hears of some funny sounds and she finds Stamets who's talking about how dark it is in the forest and how he keeps mentioning the trees and the trees all the while sitting on the floor holding the body of Dr. Culber. Was yeah. he really there on deck 12 or was he somehow projecting himself from the sickbay, do you think? Oh, I didn't even think of that. I thought he was really there. So you think he got up and left sickbay with Dr. Culber? Yeah, maybe not. I didn't even think of that. I don't know. I mean, it's possible that, yeah. you know, he's trying to get away from, you know, the place of Dr. Culber's death. So it, I think it's possible he could have carried him there. But anyway, it was a very interesting opening and it really made clear that the episode Into the Forest I Go is really about Lieutenant Stamets because he's the one who's talking about the trees in the forest. So then we move into an, uh, a, uh, an outside view of the Shenzo and we're getting a vo- voiceover from Captain Burnham who's talking about really how unhappy and miserable she is in this universe and in this role that she's taken on. It's an an acting job that she is just not enjoying. Right. I really liked that. I liked I did too. Yeah. I, I liked the feel of it. I liked the production values of her quarters. It was I don't know, there was just I really liked the whole feel of it. I thought it was a great scene. It was. And then we meet her room slave, who is Saru. Right. And he bathes her, calling it her morning ablutions. <laughs> 
And she's got to go along with this, even though it might make her, I know for me, if it was me and her role, I'm not sure I would have gone along with it. I think I might have been like, you know what? New rules. I'm going to bathe myself. (laughs) She goes along with this, I think, showing her dedication to continuing the acting for as long as possible and as deeply as possible. They're, They're all undercover, you know, they're all having they're deep undercover and she's doing what she needs to do even though it is really uncomfortable for her and I think that bathing scene is a wonderful example of the depth of discomfort yes because I know I became uncomfortable yeah the next thing we do is we we, she's doing her voiceover and talking about taking on this role we see an execution of some of the folks who were in the agony booths when they brought Lorca to the brig and now they're being executed for malicious thoughts against the emperor. Yeah, taking a page out of Mud's uh, arsenal. And such an abstract, difficult thing to prove. I mean, right. what did they do? Did they just torture a confession out of these people? Right. Very 1984. You're going to die now yeah. for your thoughts. Creepy, yeah. awful, and, and Michael Burnham has to go with it. And, you know, it's, it's eating her alive. And we then see a scene where she and... Ash Tyler are together in her quarters, in bed, presumably, you know, post-coital conversations, talking about how they take strength from each other to survive in this universe. I like also how when her Saru, her room slave, comes in, she asks if he has a name. He says, no, we don't have a name, but she calls him Saru anyway. And he seems to like that. And I thought that was kind of a nice moment. Right. She then gets a communication from Captain Tilly, and almost every scene of this episode was just so well done and so good. I go, oh, I really love that. So when Tilly communicates and she appears in Michael Burnham's quarters as a hologram, and she says, hang in there, friend. Mm-hmm. And the emotion and the empathy that are, are there are just terrific. In this communication, Burnham announces that she's got the intel they need on the Defiant. But there's no way to transfer it to the Discovery because there's so many system lockouts and system security measures in place that she would be noted if she sent that much data. And then he asks her if there's any Kelpians in the universe. Well, he asked her if there was any Kelpians on board, which I thought was odd. The Tarians don't mix with any other. I just think something's going on that we're not seeing. What would you think that might be? I don't know if that was a code. I don't know if that was... I just think something's going on because knowing that the Tyrians do not mix with any other races, why would he assume there would be Kelpians on board? Yeah. Uh, Automatically assume yourself to be a slave. And she uh, tells him no. Right. I just got the feeling there's something else going on. That's interesting. I didn't get that feeling, so I'll be interested to see how that plays out. That's cool. When the call is finished, we move over to the Discovery and... Tilly kind of complains a bit or is concerned that Saru didn't tell Burnham that Dr. Colbert was dead. Right. And Saru's decision is because he doesn't, she's already under a lot of stress and he doesn't want to add to that stress. And then, of course, they look at Lieutenant Stamets and the implication is, as well as sort of stated outright, that it was Stamets that killed Culber, which was what I was afraid was going to happen. Yes. They're focusing on Stamets as a potential murderer in his addled state, and he's tied down to a biobed, and they're at a loss, and it's quite sad. Then we go back to the Shenzhou, and Captain Burnham gets orders to take down a rebel base. And this rebel base is the headquarters for the Klingon leader of the rebel resistance, the Firewolf. And she's ordered to take him out from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. 
Michael Burnham is faced with an ethical conundrum, not only because she cannot just massacre a group of people as a Starfleet officer, but she also recognizes that there is some very important information here that could be had, and that is how does this disparate group of species come together as allies under a Klingon leader? And if she can figure that out, she might be able to take it back to her universe and stop the war with the Klingons. Right. And so she takes this idea to Captain Lorca, who, oh boy, does not look that, he, he definitely looks the worst for wear. Yeah. And he initially tells her, shoot, shoot the people, kill the people. And then she explains to him her theory, and he backs down and says, maybe I'm not thinking straight, and you're right, but don't take a landing party, just you and Tyler. And I think right there, and at this point, I may, I may be seeing conspiracy everywhere. <laughs> Right there, she knows something is up with him. I think right in that conversation, she knows that there's something up with him. That that is not Starfleet. I don't know if it was the look she gave him. I don't know what it was. But I got up in the middle of the night. It bothered me so much (laughs) to watch. (laughs) That's awesome. I I was also awake in the middle of the night, but for different (laughs) reasons, but also Star Trek related. So we'll get to that in a minute. I, I thought he, you know, we haven't really talked much about this in detail. We've alluded to this, we've kind of brushed up against this, but I am convinced that this Lorca is this universe's Captain Lorca. He went yeah. to the other universe either accidentally or on purpose to escape Michael Burnham, found the other uses, universe's Michael Burnham, and his goal is to use her to get close enough to the Emperor to kill the Emperor and then set himself up as Emperor. Absolutely. And I think she saw that. Maybe not that specific. She's, yeah. And she's willing to, and she's willing to let it go because, you know, he has been undergoing so much torture that he's not thinking straight. And he right. covered very well, you know, by See, I didn't think he covered well at all. I, I thought he, he was... I thought he did because he said sometimes the ends justify terrible means and he said it with such emotion like he really felt it. I thought yeah. that was pretty good. <laughs> That's all about him. <laughs> And her logic as to how this is going to be helpful to them is really excellent. It is. It was just so... Starfleet. It was so Starfleet. And Lorca does seem wounded by his experience. He does, but I. it just seemed like all of a sudden it dawned on him like, oh, what am I saying? Yes, exactly. So she goes down to the planet. She takes Lieutenant Tyler and they're captured by the rebels. And she asks to meet the rebel leader, the Firewolf. And we see the Firewolf and he is the Klingon Vok. And for a split second when they said Firewolf, even on the ship, I was thinking it was going to be Cole. Just for a split second. And then I said, no, it has to be. It has to be Vok. Yeah. Meanwhile, back on Discovery, Tilly thinks that she has a treatment for Stamets. And she, too, has a very logical, sciencey approach to helping Lieutenant Stamets by using the spores to sort of help cure him, to reinvigorate the parts of his brain that are no longer functioning. Um, And so they move Stamets to the spore chamber and they start giving him the treatment. And it looks like it's working and then it doesn't work. And Tilly is so convinced that she's right. She's willing to push through even though he is on the brink of death and then appears to die. Right. And is this where you texted me that you were right? Yes. (laughs) I I just think during the whole treatment where I was wondering if Tilly was really trying to link to the spores 
from Stamets. She's very confident in this world, in this universe. She had the ambition to ask Saru her command training during this whole somebody's life. You're not thinking about, oh, will you rec- make a recommendation to command training? So were you worried that your concerns about Tilly were coming to fruition, that she was taking on sort of the more ruthless elements of this universe? I am still worried about Tilly, yes. She's so much more confident in this environment than she was back in the reg- the, mir- the regular universe. I was willing to go with just a really important lesson about command, and that is you're not always right, and sometimes you make mistakes, and sometimes you're wrong. And I am willing to see that particular instance in that sort of box of a really important command lesson, but you may be right. It may be the groundwork for a bigger issue for Tilly. Yeah, I'm still worried about it. (laughs) (laughs) Back on the planet... Michael Burnham meets with Vok, and immediately Tyler is twitching. He sees Vok, and he starts twitching. And Burnham is talking with Vok, and she wants to know what's what's going on with him, and he's not sure how to trust her, and she tries to explain that she has a different personality now, she's a different person, she has different goals, and Vok pulls out Sarek, right. the prophet, who does a mind meld with her and discovers how very different she is. And reassures Vok that her motives are pure. Michael Burnham asks the question of Vok, how is it that you are with these people and allied with these people when your own Klingon culture insists that you protect your culture first? And he says that the enemy of my enemy is my friend, essentially. And that once your houses are united, then you can reach out to others. That's right. And at that point, Tyler goes bonkers and starts shouting in Klingon and attacks Vok. Right, when he mentioned Kalis. When he mentions Kalis, he starts, all of these things start coming back to him and he starts attacking and they're ready to kill them both. And Sarek reassures them once again that Burnham's motives are pure. He can't speak to what's going on with Tyler, but her motives are pure. So they let Tyler and Burnham go with the promise that they have an hour and then they're going to fire on the site and they can evacuate their people. They go back to the ship, and she gives a information node to her first officer to find out where all of the listening posts are and all their, you know, other rebel bases are. And then to her quarters, and it's like, what happened? What's going on? And she says, you know, you were my tether, and I'm your tether, and I've supported you, and I loved you, and what's going on? And he starts to explain that, you know, she's the one that he wants to be human for, but he's not. And then the Vok persona comes out and he starts to attack her. He remembers that she's the one that killed Takuvma. You know, she's being attacked, physically attacked by Tyler. And she's rescued by Saru, who throws Tyler off of her. And then Tyler is placed under arrest and he's going to be executed. They take him to the the, the transporter room because the mode of execution in, in the Terran Empire is to beam people into space. Michael Burnham goes up and she hits Tyler in the stomach for his traitorous behavior and then says she's going to do this herself and transports him into space and he's transported into space and as he starts to die he's transported by the Discovery and the folks on Discovery arrest him and remove the data that she that Michael Burnham had smuggled onto him off of his person so that they can now evaluate it and see what they can learn about the Defiant. Were you surprised by that? I still I think that whole, this whole thing, and again, I might be reading conspiracy into everything. 
there's something else going on that we're not privy to yet. I almost think this was a plan. Do you think that Saru actually did go check the spore drive records and discovered that Captain Lorca changed the destination? I think somebody did. Even the whole thing with Tyler, I think they maybe she almost knew that was going to happen, way to get the information to Discovery. It seemed like, I don't know, it just seems like, seems to me that there is something going on that we haven't seen. With Saru, with Michael, and with Tyler, whether he's a willing participant or not. I hope you're right, because when Tyler became Vok, I was very sad. Remember how you said you're yeah. going to be heartbroken? There it was. There it was. There it was. And I got up in the middle of the night to watch it all again. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what was keeping me up at night, was my husband was like, what did you think? And I said, I'm really going to miss Tyler. I liked him. He was a nice guy. Yeah. He was a good guy. Right. They made sure to bring to re-show the part where he said he will always be there for her. And I am still willing to believe that yes and I, I when I rewatched the episode I was I, I noticed that too and I was like okay that is my hope but right. during the episode after he's gone from her side and then she collects Captain Lorca to tell him that it's time to finish they've gotten the data over and they need to be done with it and he's like no no we have to stay in case they can't right. figure it out and then he's like I'm here for you and holds her hand and I'm like good lord <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everyone around her is just like, I'm here for you until it's no longer convenient. And then I'm going to dump you like a hot rock. I think this whole, I think this whole thing started way back when she first talked to Saru. I don't know why. And like I said, I got up in the middle of the night and I rewatched the whole thing. And I had the same feeling when I finished. I can't pick, put my finger on why. And you've got good instincts. They have panned out before. And an example of that is this. She's in the ready room with Captain Lorca. He's like, no, we should really just wait it out just a little bit longer to be sure that they know how to get the data from the Defiant, and this is the way. When she's called to the bridge because the rebel base is being fired upon by another ship, mm -hmm. the ship destroys the rebel base and the planet for a, in a thousand-mile radius. And then Captain Burnham is told that the Emperor wishes to speak to her, and the hologram shows Emperor Giorgio. Yeah. And did you see the smirk? I didn't see the smirk. You mean on Lorca? Yes, I did see Lorca's okay. smirk. Yeah, Michael Burnham, you know, orders Lorca to be brought out of her ready room so he can't get into any mischief there. And then, yes, I did see the smirk. I did see the look on his face. I was really excited because I was so glad to see Michelle Yeoh. So I was like, yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> and she looks good as Emperor. She does. She looks believable. She looks dangerous. It's a Again, once again, it, the production values are really fantastic. It's very great story and environment to sink your teeth into. And that's kind of how I felt when we finished the episode. I felt like I had just sat through a really good meal. <laughs> I was exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, my point was is that you were right about Captain Shorjo. That was your first thought when the Emperor was yeah. mentioned. You went right there, and your instincts are good. So I listened to your instincts. I just, I, I can't, I don't know, I just can't get it out of my head that there's something. Just like back in the um, Harry Mud episode, you know, when they all came together at the end to get to get Mud planning. And I'm thinking there's something that we didn't see yet. Yes, you're right. The planning took place off camera and without our knowledge. Yeah. I certainly hope we get to hang on to Ash Tyler for a while. Yeah, so we're going to be in the 
break with Laurel. Yeah, I so, was thinking that. That's not a good thing. It might be. Maybe that's the plan. Maybe that's the plan all along. Tell me more. Somehow, I, I know, I understand Bach. I just think there's something that is attached to Michael, even though it doesn't look like that to us right now. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. <laughs> it does. It really does. Because otherwise, why put so much time into the writing of that story? Right. And result of putting him in, a, in the brig with Laurel, probably not in the same cell, but it's for information gathering purposes or something. The other piece that I think is going to be really potentially very interesting is that by learning the motivation of his Vok counterpart in the mirror universe, he could be influenced by that in the regular universe and then be instrumental in stopping the war because of that. Right. Right. But by to do that, he needs to be Vok. He can't be Tyler. I know. And so we find ourselves in a place where we need Vok, not Tyler. But we want Tyler, not Vok. Right. Evil writers. So we have to hold, hold our cross our fingers for the third option, which is that Tyler is an actual Starfleet officer who was captured by the Klingons. And Vok was made to look like him and given his backstory, but maybe Tyler yeah. is still alive. Right. And then we can have both. Yeah. Last thoughts. Theories. I think I'm theoried out. Um, <laughs> and I know these are all left field. I don't know what it was. It made me think there's something going on that we're not. Well, I think your point about the the planning and tactics and strategies that took place off camera f- with Harry Mudd in the episode Magic to Make the Sanus Mad Go Mad is well taken. They have a pattern of doing that. So it yes. would make sense that they're doing it. They're doing it now. Yes. And then we have the two Stamitzes. Oh, that's right. The very last scene, we see Lieutenant Stamets, who seems to be coming back to life after his treatment that appeared to kill him. And as Tilly said, you know, the spores have this unique biological connection between life and death. Mm -hmm. He is twitching and appearing to be alive. And we see him walking through the spore forest and encountering his mirror universe counterpart, which is either... A good thing or a creepy thing? A way to tell which is Happy Stamets and which is... <laughs> they both look the same. It's going to be really fascinating to see how that plays out in the next episode. Yeah. Okay. The next episode is called Vaulting Ambition. Vaulting Ambition? Vaulting Ambition. Sounds like chilly to me. It does, <laughs> doesn't it? But I think vaulting has two definitions. Because vaulting means, you know, high reaching. Right. And that could be Captain Lorca's desire to be emperor. Or it, Tilly. Or Tilly's desire to yeah. be command and captain. It can also mean leaping up or over. It could be jumping over ambition. True. Did actually watch the coming. I did week. too. And then the third, here's the third definition of it. Excessive in ambition or presumpt- presumption, as in vaulting pride. Right. So it could be excessive ambition. So we're we're looking at... You know, potentially something that's high-reaching, something that's excessive, or something that's going over it. Yeah. So what did you think of the trailer for the for Vaulting Ambition? Well, I, I guess they're going to visit the Emperor. <laughs> Who looks absolutely amazing in this role. She does. And I don't mean, like, visually. I mean that she it seems to be well integrated into the role and plays it well. And it looks like, again, like it's going to be delicious. Yeah. And then there was the part where they said uh, Tyler was in distress. He in distress just because he's strapped down or is he in distress because something's changing? Or or maybe the two sides of him are battling. Battling. Yeah. So we have to wait a whole week for this. 
I know. Reminds me of my childhood. (laughs) If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find me at autismmom.com. That's autism-mom.com. You can find me at takingstep.com. And we hope that you will join us for the next episode of Moms Going Boldly. The music used on Moms Going Boldly is entitled Without Limits by Ross Bugden Music. It is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License. For more information, visit creativecommons.org. And please follow Ross Bugden on Twitter, at Ross Bugden.